Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of No More Silos. I am super excited that you are still listening and want to welcome you if this is your first episode. Uh, This is episode three of season two, and so we've been doing this a little while since last fall. And uh, this is a podcast about cultural Christianity, but honestly, I've been researching cultural Christianity for about the last five years or so. Um, it's something that I just, you know, I woke up one day, I guess, and I, I had too many conversations and realized I had a bunch of questions and people I was talking to had a bunch of questions. And we kept scratching our heads at what we saw in culture not being consistent with what's actually in scripture, what we saw happening in the church, maybe not our particular church, but in other churches, um, just the way it was all showing up. And so that kind of uh, turned into this podcast. Um, Originally, I thought about a book and then I was like, you know, um, I like to talk. So a podcast, a podcast it is. So welcome back to another episode of No More Silos, a podcast about cultural Christianity. And in this season, season two, uh, we are looking at how that impacts our efforts at discipleship in the church. So follow me on Instagram or Facebook if you haven't already at Cultural Christianity. And uh, if you have any questions or comments or episode ideas, things that you'd like me to address or or to talk about, shoot me an email over at podcast at ericasantiago.com. And that's Erica with a Okay, so today I'm, I'm asking the question about the value of history. So we've uh, we're so desperate for context, you know. We watch well, we be me, okay, me, just me. Watch a lot of documentaries. Um, some of you watch documentaries with me. Some of you watch. Uh, I'm sorry, read books, and we're looking for context. We're always trying to figure out what is going on. Why is this happening? We're watching the news and saying. Mm, is that really what happened or is there something missing from the story? And so that is the value of history to our conversation about cultural Christianity. Um, And No More Silos, what we're focused on, what I'm focused on, what I'm focused on is breaking down those barriers or connecting the dots, connecting those silos of information. And one of those big silos is the one for history. You know, how do we connect what has already happened to what is happening? And and how is that impacting the church and what we believe? And so in our last episode, we talked about, or actually a couple of episodes ago, we talked about uh, critical race theory. We talked about critical race theory, and it's a recently recent development in the bigger scheme of things, if you think about the long span of history. But this particular week, it's been in the news a lot, again, um, because it's become like the the uh, lightning rod in culture right now. It's it's the boogeyman in the church. It's the boogeyman in settings like education. In fact, I just saw today that my uh, the, the superintendent of my kids' school district has issued a statement on critical race theory. And I laugh to myself. I'm like, okay, if we're going to throw critical race theory out the window on the basis that it's a theory... Uh, Can we toss evolution, too? Because Darwin's theory hasn't been proven, and it's been like 100 years. But hey, you know, Um, so so we've talked about critical race theory. Um, And really what it is, is a continued distraction, 
on, I mean, seriously, it is a distraction to keep folks looking away from Christian or white nationalism or white supremacy and, and trying to, to stop folks from doing the homework, doing the research, looking at history and asking the question. And so we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And then um, last week we talked about discipleship in general, just to kind of lay the groundwork for where we're going in this season on No More Silos, specifically how cultural Christianity has created silos in our orthopraxy when it comes to teaching other believers the commandments of Jesus. Orthopraxy is simply a way of saying how we practice what we preach. And so today, we're going to look at how history matters to this conversation. On this episode of No More Silos, the barrier I'd like to talk about is the one around history that makes discipleship harder than it needs to be. For example, why is the uh, post-Civil War Reconstruction era, uh, why is that period of history taught separately from the westward expansion in 19th century American history classes. Uh, there are a bunch of documentaries on the History Channel that focus on the, I think there's one coming out next week, the Titans of Civilization, and it focuses on the Industrial Revolution and the uh, the, the men who push the ball forward through their corporations and their their uh, efforts and how they use new technology in the late, latter part of the 19th century and the early 20th century. But that is always disconnected as a silo of information from other things that are happening in that, that time period, like the Western expansion um, of the United States that displaced and uh, displaced Native Americans. And really, I mean, it wasn't just displacement, it was full out genocide. Um, it's uh, a period of time for the their Jim Crow started and uh, Reconstruction was supposed to keep going, but it ended. And a great resource, you know, like I said, I like documentaries. That Netflix Netflix came out with a new documentary a few months ago, uh, produced by Will Smith called Amend A M E N D Amend. I'll put a link in the show notes for you, but it covers some of that and and really helps you see how the Fourteenth Amendment to the Constitution impacted life in the United States. Um, and that time period is part of that. But another th- resource that I want to share with you that I'll share on the on the show notes that demonstrates why this question is necessary, why uh, No More Silos even exists as a podcast, is because it's easy to miss certain details. In the video I'll share is a 1967 uh, NBC uh, news clip of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., where he addresses in the video where he addresses in the video the fact that European Americans were given land in the west and you know that was that westward expansion um, displacing the native americans while recently freed african americans were denied any economic resources to successfully participate in american society now you fast forward to today and we're still feeling the ramifications of that that is why history matters because there's a different history silo for the second half or a number of different history silos for the second half of the 19th century in our American history books, many Americans don't connect the dots. We don't see the cause and the effects of what happened then to what's going on today. 
So here's another example, but this one goes all the way back to an even earlier time in church history. While I was researching my notes uh, for preparing this podcast, I came across something that I wrote in a 2019, uh, wrote about uh, back in 2019. And it was an article at that time in Christianity Today's online magazine. And, you know, I follow ChristianityToday.com on Facebook and, you know, they post articles and sometimes they post opinion pieces and sometimes it's hard to discern, or at least back then, and you probably run across this too, it's hard to discern right away whether or not you're reading someone's opinion piece or something that is a well-researched article. So here's, here's what I wrote back in 2019, which was a couple of years ago. The question I had is, what are we rebuilding? I'm wary of the word again or rebuild. They imply that something existed previously that we wish to return to. But when referencing some past era of America, what they, and I put that in quotes, are usually referencing never actually existed. I started reading an article on ChristianityToday.com about Pelagius, who was declared a heretic at the Council of Ephesus in 431 AD. As I read the article, I realized it was more of an opinion piece and not really a scholarly biblical interpretation or even an unbiased history lesson. The article pointed to the heresy of the past in view of our current cultural individualism, but I noticed how some of the history and details of the heresy were mixed up with the ideas that were not historically accurate or even biblically accurate. The biggest red flag came at the end of the article quoted below, but before that, it was the one Bible verse reference that really doesn't support the premise of the author's point of view about Pelagius, and it only marginally supports his point about our culture. So here's the quote from the article. It said, We must rebuild a culture that affirms the dignity of the working man and woman, that protects their way of life and honors their central role in the life of this country. We must rebuild an economy that will offer opportunity for every American worker, whatever degree she may have, whatever he may li- wherever he may live, an economy that rewards hard, productive work. For that, after all, is the work that built this country. We must build a democracy run not by the elites, but by the great middle of America, a democracy that allows the working man and woman to realize their God-given ability to govern themselves and help manage the life of this nation." That is the great task of the hour. You are actually, if you've been following the news for the last six months, I am about to shock you. The author of this article, um, and, and the article was, was, was adapted from a commencement address given at the King's College in New York City on May 11th. Um, so it literally was about a year ago. I mean, I'm sorry, two years ago around this time of year. The author is Joshua Hawley, the United States Senator from Missouri. Josh Hawley, the United States Senator from Missouri. Now, why is that interesting? When I finished the article and noticed who the author was, it made sense. 
his point of view, that is. He's the Republican senator from Missouri. It's the Midwest. Uh, He's focused on a working man and woman. But what didn't make any sense is why it was featured in Christianity Today's Facebook page, uh, appearing in my timeline, or even on a page that at all, as if to support this mismatch of bad hermeneutics for Christians who may not know anything about the ecumenical councils or the early church and the heresies the church leaders of the time tried to suppress. Um, For that reason, I thought it was a little misleading. Um, In this, I'm reading after a disturbing article on History.com's site about the laws that still exist, by the way, allowing for women to be examined for STDs from uh, about 1910 through the 1970s without just cause or due process. So I'm, I'm reading this as almost a dozen, this is 2019, as almost a dozen states have recently passed laws to turn back time and return to a time when women had to make unimaginable health decisions that could cost to them their lives. So here's my update. When I came back across this uh, bit of research that I had, had put together a couple of years ago, I wrote to myself, oh, wow, oh, wow. Who is Josh Hawley? Go ahead and Google him. He's now a well-known Republican senator. He's the guy who raised his fist outside the Capitol the day of the insurrection back in January of 2021. He's, a well, he's now well-known as a supporter of the, what the media is calling the big lie that the 2020 presidential election was rigged. The major news media outlets might want to pretend that they were surprised by all that's happening in the past year, but we shouldn't be. This exactly frames the groundwork that was laid over the past few decades to create the environment for all this wackiness to, to thrive. One of the things about the Old Testament that is that we can see the long history of a people group, right? We see that of the, children, the history of the children of Israel. The, the Israelites and how they initially interpreted God's commandments and then how they reinterpreted them hundreds of years later to eventually the incarnation of God himself coming into history as Jesus to fix things. So this article from 2019 is exactly why discipleship suffers because of a lack of knowledge about church history or even biblical literacy. What are we rebuilding? Many of you probably who, who listen to this podcast that have, are interested in this topic of cultural Christianity probably have been doing the same thing I've been doing the last few years, scratching your head going, there's something more happening. I can't quite put my finger on it. And what it ultimately is, is historical access to the truth. It's not enough just to pick up your Bible anymore and just start reading. It is from a spiritual sense because, you know, you can, uh, from a spiritual sense and discipleship sense in that regard, you are uh, communicating directly with God. But how we operate, how we're able to train others to be disciples, we have to see the whole picture. Um, And we have to not only be encouraged by God's word, but be moved to action, be moved to action of love through God's word. But what sort of damage do silos create in the church that affect our efforts at discipleship? Well, Josh Hawley's article from a couple of years ago is certainly one of them. Not only is it biblically inaccurate, um, but it is historically inaccurate. Uh, 
So I encourage you to look up Pelagius and look up the the ecumenical councils, the Council of Ephesus in 431 A.D., to find out what really was at stake, what was the real question, but historical access to truth. And so in last week's episode, as we talked about discipleship, uh, actually, or maybe it was the week before, um, I gave you five books. I, uh, I gave you five books that I would like for you to, or encourage you to read this summer. We're going to talk about two of those books today. The first one is Urban Apologetics by Eric Mason. Uh, The subtitle on that is Restoring Black Dignity with the Gospel. Restoring Black Dignity with the Gospel. The second book, the second book is by Beth Allison Barr. The Making of Biblical Womanhood, How the Subjugation of Women Became Gospel Truth. How the Subjugation of Women Became Gospel Truth. Why these two books? Well, in the book that we're we're looking at as our overarching uh, for our overarching discussion on discipleship, which is emotionally healthy discipleship by Peter Scazzaro, subtitled "Moving from Shallow Christianity to Deep Transformation," we have to look at the historical context of the things that we're reading, the way that we're discipling others. And that, I think, has been lacking in the American church. Um, black church, white church, anybody's church, I don't care. It's, it, we don't know our history. And that's not what God teaches us in the Bible, in the Old Testament. Um, train up a child. Um, the Great Commission, discipleship is about training and teaching Jesus's commands and the way that we should go. Um, in Deuteronomy, God uh, it, it encourages us to teach our children in our coming and our going, in, in not just our literal children, but the, the future generations. And we see that throughout the Old Testament, that people uh, are always constantly remembering and reminding. We see that in Psalms a lot. Remember how God saved us uh, and rescued us from Egypt. In the New Testament, remember the gospel. That's how a bunch of the letters start, right? It's like, whoa, did you guys forget what we taught you the first, you know, when we were here the last time? That's not it. Who who told you this false gospel? There's a uh, implications for all of this, as we see in Josh Hawley's article in Christianity Today from 2019. In Pete Scazzaro's book, there's a whole chapter dedicated to teaching on uh, the crucified Christ, not the Americanized Jesus. And so the question um, that I have when it comes to No More Silos in, in cultural Christianity is his, is a, really about historical access or having historical access to truth. So I highly recommend both of these books, uh, all of these books, as discipleship and evangelism resources because they answer the question about the historical truth and context of how scripture has been twisted to support patriarchy and racism in American church culture and really our culture in America in general. In Christian media, we're seeing more and more popular Christians leave the faith, and and we have to ask the question, really, why? Why are we seeing, I think I saw an article the other other day, the guy from DC Talk, which was a popular Christian rap group in the 90s, say that, you know, he's left evangelicalism. You know, I didn't take the time to click on the article to see if he meant evangelicalism in general or Christianity as a whole. I'm not really sure. But either way, what are people leaving and why? We really should pause and ask that question. Because when I read the articles, 
and I, I read these stories, it's always something either traumatic happened, like abusive, or and, and that it wasn't addressed properly, or something in scripture was misrepresented as truth. And instead of finding the answers, they just walk away. No one was able to answer their valid questions, so they just gave up. They walked away. I love that Jude 3 Project, uh, this past uh I guess it was a few months ago, they released a series of videos where they had roundtable discussions about, you know, is things like, is church a safe place to ask questions? And there were people who were there participating in this roundtable who were like, yeah, I left because I I asked the pastor a question and it blew me off. Um, I didn't get my question asked. My husband shares stories like that um, with his uh, interactions with church before he was saved. You know, it's we have to do our homework. We can't just expect someone to have an emotional response to the gospel and not an intellectual response. So in episode four of of season one, uh, in an episode that I called, What is Historical Christianity? I talk about creeds. And I'm not going to take up our time now to focus on that, except to say that that's how the early church taught the foundational beliefs of Christianity to new believers. Discipleship starts as a relationship built upon a common understanding and general agreement on what is true. Remember, the early church didn't have the Bible as we know it yet. They had letters. They had one or two gospel accounts. Otherwise, they were relying on the literal eyewitness testimony and basic understanding that we should love one another. And that was the filter for their worldview and their actions, their orthodoxy and their orthopraxy. But they didn't let new believers just give up on their questions. They worked with them to answer them. That's why I started this podcast. That's why I went back to school a few years ago. Um, I had questions, but I also uh, was being asked questions in my capacity as a uh, as a pastor's wife, as a Bible study teacher, and I really was sitting there going, oh my gosh, I don't really have a good answer for that. Why do we do that? You know, I want to know too. And so for me, I don't recommend this to everybody. For me, that meant I went to grad school. (laughs) But uh, for you, you could listen to this podcast or read a book. Um, But yeah, I just wanted to know what the answers were. So the key words here, though, is how to find the answers. You know, there are so many different ways. I chose going back to school. You might choose to read a book or listen to a podcast or two uh, to do your own uh, research on Google or Wikipedia. But if we don't know where to begin looking, we will arrive at the wrong or an incomplete conclusion. We will arrive at a wrong or an incomplete conclusion. And that's dangerous. And that's how we got to where we're at now. So let's start with the first book, um, Urban Apologetics by Dr. Mason. I want to start there because he spends a lot of time in the early chapters focusing on the restoration of black dignity. Where do we where do we get dignity from? Um, He'll go on in uh, one of the early chapters talking about the dignity of the Imago Dei. And we'll talk about that in just a moment out of Genesis. I don't think many of us, even people of color, realize how the repetitive trauma of the images of the white Jesus in our society and culture affect us. And that's something that Dr. Mason talks about in his book. Um, He says, white Jesus has become an obstacle to belief for some and creates the perception that whiteness is sacred and everlasting. 
Getting rid of white Jesus imagery in churches is a very practical step. And something he mentions in the book that I I didn't know before um, is how some black churches uh, either purchased or were gifted their buildings from white churches. Uh, So the white church, let's say, decided to move to the suburbs. And so you have an urban uh, inner city church that buys or is gifted the building by maybe the denomination. Um, And the stained glass windows already have pictures uh, and artwork representing Bible stories, but they're represented uh, as Europeans. When we kind of all logically know that Jesus was kind of not European. So we have this imagery and these murals around the church that were not put there by black people, but we didn't change them either. Um, and, and many of us are, are, that are, grew up in the United States in the last half century or so grew up with a picture of a white Jesus and Martin Luther King and JFK uh, hanging framed on a wall inside of our homes. There's a whole episode on the TV show Good Times about the black Jesus. And I think Dr. Mason um, talks about that in his book. Most seminaries don't include um, an ethnic perspective, not necessarily intentionally. And honestly, I don't think some of them even uh, stop to think about it. I don't think that it's it even occurs to them. Uh, conversations I've had with people of European descent, most of the time, it's literally, it just never occurred to them that the white images might be traumatic. Never occurred to them that there were even black theologians um, out there or that you have to say black and theologian, like hyphenate it because it's when we say theologian, we automatically assume a European descent person. That is problematic. However, I am encouraged. Uh, This is not all gloom and doom. I am encouraged because a lot of uh, universities and seminaries now have uh, women's studies uh, programs. They have uh, black studies programs and urban studies programs focused on ministry in those settings. And so, but it's still a a choice to take those classes or to participate in that cognitive. So you kind of have to be looking for it a lot of times to know it's there um, as an option. And Jamar Tisby calls for more black seminaries just in general, that we should have our own seminaries Um, that focus on a more honest, uh, ethnically diverse, but intentionally ethnically diverse perspective on the gospel message and how we how we put all that uh, together. And in fact, this whole educational debate currently in the news about the 1619 project uh, versus the 1776 project are evidence that this is a necessary discussion. Uh, I believe the the professor who uh, put together and orchestrated the 1619 project uh, this week was in the news because she was denied tenure by the university she works at. And some people are saying, hey, that's a kind of a political, you know, thing. I'm not here to talk about politics. I'm just here to point things out. Silos of information. Why? Why was she denied tenure? Why do people have a problem with studying uh, systemic racism? Why do people have a problem with studying uh, slavery and, and, and addressing how we got to where we're at right now? In any event, um, there are folks who are convinced that the propaganda of the Declaration of Independence, that all men are created equal, somehow historically included women and people of color. And we know for a fact it didn't. And even people in that time frame didn't see it that way. Uh, you can read Frederick Douglass's speech um, about the 4th of July. Um, he, he asks a very practical and very real question about the 4th of July. 
And the sooner we get on the same page about historical evidence, the better. So there's a new book about a uh, new book out um, about Juneteenth, and the author was in MSNBC uh, the other day. And one of the questions she was asked was about the value of origin stories in our culture. As a Marvel fan myself. Um, I agree that origin stories are important. I mean, during the pandemic, what else did I have to do but sit and watch all of the Marvel movies in chronological order? And there's an ongoing debate right now in our culture about the origin story of America. Is it fact or fiction um, that is affecting how we live our lives right now? And it is affecting our ability to effectively disciple people in the church. Historical bias has led to centuries of broken dignity in the Black American experience at large, as well as in the Christian community. And Dr. Mason points this out as he touches on all sorts of things like publishing and art and education and marketing, um, representation matters. If I don't see myself, then I don't know that I can be the next Captain America. And so, and this is something that was taken up actually by the Jerusalem Council. So if you read Acts chapter 15 and Galatians chapter 2, this was, these, this is considered, the council at Jerusalem is considered a precursor to the ecumenical councils that later decided on other theological issues and even confirmed the canon of the Bible. What's interesting is, is that the Council of Ephesus in 431 AD that we talked about a moment ago from Josh Hawley's article is such an ecumenical council. That is why it is so jarring to me that his article even got published uh, in a Christian media outlet um, a few years ago. And so the thing that that Dr. Mason talks about is Imago Dei when he brings up black dignity in the gospel. And in the book of Acts in the Jerusalem Council at that time deemed that particular issues were foundational to the Christian education of Gentiles. It it was non-cultural, religious, or ethnically Jewish people. Those were who Gentiles are. They're not culturally Jewish. They're not religious. They they are not religiously Jewish. They're not ethnically Jewish people. Um, And in Acts chapter 15, the apostles take up the question of what's cultural, what verse or old covenant uh, and cultural versus what is necessary to the new covenant of Jesus, of following Jesus. And then by the second century, we have the publication of the Didache. And by the third and fourth century, we have the creeds. And so, it, you know, we talked about, and I encourage you to Google the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed so you can read what it is that is foundational to Christian belief. Today, the church needs to recover the dignity found in all of us being made in the image of God. Our value and our unity are actually based on this. And there are a lot of folks out there calling for unity. So Dr. Mason goes uh, goes into quite a bit of detail about um, how you know we get pushbacks on our attempts for discipleship because of the long history of racism and patriarchy. Um, it's being so embedded in our church culture that people outside as well as inside don't really know how to tell the difference. And so we think of the way that the media has portrayed Christian Republicans or the people who stormed the Capitol in January. I mean, the latest thing I've heard is that they were tourists. Patriotism is aligned with Christian values. Um, and that's not really how, that, that's not even what it says in the Bible. Because patriotism back then was aligning yourself to the Roman, 
uh, government, the Roman culture, Roman emperor cult way of doing things. And so that's clear in the Bible that that's not what, that is not Christian values. Our ideas on what is Christian and what is not Christian are syncretically tied to the American flag and other symbols that would have surprised early Christians in the first century. I talk about that in the episode on American civil religion. Dr. Mason also talks about how we have erased and whitewashed historical references to the African influence in the early church, so much so that if you Google Athanasius or or St. Augustine, they look like Santa Claus or Aristotle. Um, And we covered the African influence in the early church, um, I think, a few episodes back, and I know I've taught it in our Bible study classes. Um, But it's interesting, and Dr. Mason points out how black students are always shocked to learn that many of the early Christian church fathers were African. Tertullian, Augustine, Athanasius, Cyprian, Origen, and others, they're all from North Africa. None of them are white. And so he points all of this out because he's making the case that the history has been intentionally whitewashed. He says, Generally speaking, the more central the figure is to the the history of Christian history and theological development, the greater the temptation has been for European historians and theologians to ignore that person's ethnicity and then paint them in their own image. So when we don't know our own history, and remember, that was one of the four failures of discipleship that we talked about from Pete Scazzaro's book last week, we allow culture to contribute to the pain and trauma of being educated by the descendants of our ancestors' oppressors. Um, it's the way that Dr. Mason puts it. And so the so-called majority culture then uh, is reticent to admit that many of those who shaped Western philosophy, rhetoric, exegesis, apologetics, missionary efforts, and our doctrinal understandings were people of color. Uh, St. Augustine is accredited with being like the father of Western uh, Christian theology. I mean, he wrote voraciously. He wrote so much in the fourth century that uh, a lot of our doctrinal beliefs as Christians are based on him. Martin Luther um, wrote a lot about Augustine that, you know, as a Protestant, he, he went back from his time in the 1500s and said, you know what? Let me look at how the early church, how the uh, believers before me interpreted scripture. And he looked at Augustine. He looked at what he wrote and, and he kind of went from there. But here's the thing. Dr. Mason says, and I love this quote from, uh, from his book. He says, we aren't trained in America to allow people to express their culture. So the question I have for us here at No More Silos is what happens to our evangelism and discipleship efforts in the church when there's no representation of the perspective necessary to engage people of color in a meaningful Christ-focused relationship because the people in charge didn't view Christianity as an indigenous African uh, religion or the people uh, in charge don't encourage us to to see that part of history, to see ourselves in history. What happens? We end up with folks exploring other options. In fact, you could listen to any of my husband's stories. His his whole his whole testimony is based on the fact that he didn't grow up in church and how he was convinced that his cultural and in religious identity was wrapped up in something other 
or should be wrapped up in something other than Christianity. Um, And so what we end up with, and Dr. Mason talks about this as well in his book, is we end up with a rise in the 20th century and 20th century black America, and even now, uh, the black mystery religions, ideologies, and cults. And so he spends a great deal of the book talking about that. And his book is actually a a collection of essays. Uh, So it's not just him as a scholar, but other scholars uh, that uh, have contributed to this conversation. And what he focuses on is our God-invested value. And he, he starts with Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning. And in the beginning, it says uh, in chapter 1, verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and every living creature that moves on the ground. And jumping down to verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Our dignity comes from God. It comes from God before the fall. It comes from God uh, in the beginning. We are made in his image. Uh, It is a God-given mental and spiritual capacities that enable us as people to relate to God and to serve him by ruling over the created order as his earthly vice regents. It's the way that uh, Dr. Mason puts it in the book. And when Jesus comes back or comes to reconcile us to God, that's what he's getting us back to. He's fixing that. And so... Dr. Mason calls the the black religious identity cults BRICS, or well, that's the acronym, black religious identity cults. Um, it's the the idea that when people of color are looking for their identity, and the majority culture is saying your identity is not in Christ, it's in something else, or or you, it, it's I don't know, just something else. Then what ends up happening is is we end up with a generation that is uh, drawn to a culturally accepted religious cult that puts us in a, in a position of saying, I can, I can see myself here. But here's the dangerous thing, and this is what really creates the challenge for us from a cultural Christianity standpoint. Many of these groups draw upon Judeo-Christian beliefs, which even in and of itself is a made-up thing, um, saying Judeo-Christian. That's a term that came up in the 19th century because it really only seemed to serve those who wish to elevate the old covenant over the new, the new that Jesus made that reconciles us to God. So instead of us focusing on what Jesus is telling us to do, this Judeo-Christian concept mires us or buries us in uh, the rhetoric of the Old Testament in the rules and regulations of the Old Testament that don't, that don't apply to us as Christians. That's why I mentioned the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. It's like there were some things that were cultural and there are some things that are there because of the fall. But if Jesus came to reconcile us and bring us back to the beginning, then 
a lot of that stuff doesn't apply to us as, as believers in, of Christ. It is descriptive, not prescriptive. So when we refer to dignity, we're referring to the God-invested value. When we're talking about Genesis 1 in the beginning, we're talking about what did God say at the beginning. And so the danger of the black religious identity cults that Dr. Mason uh, writes about is that instead of finding our value in being redeemed through Jesus, uh, we need to be looking for our value simply by being created by God. And we affirm that identity through Christ. But we have to understand that our our value didn't start at justification, but it starts at creation. Our identity in Christ is a culmination of our value. It is not the beginning of our value. Dr. Mason writes that God valued us even while we were sinners. It's found in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Our ethnic value doesn't change in salvation, but it's given redemptive clarity as it is brought under the cross. When we miss the opportunity to understand, to really look back at history. We find ourselves trying to rebuild cultures that didn't exist, finding dignity in things that that's not what God called us to find dignity in. There's no scriptural basis in that. We find ourselves believing false teachers and false narratives and false gospels. And so it's important to me at least, that we take the time, that we take the time to make sure that those that we are discipling understand that their identity starts at creation and that our identity today is in Christ. So, hey, we only made it through one of the books. Next episode, we'll come back and we'll talk about the making of biblical womanhood and how that continues this conversation about dignity and restoring dignity as believers. So thanks for joining me on this episode of No More Silos. Come back next week for part two of this discussion on history and dignity, uh, where we will talk a little bit about uh, from the women's history standpoint here on No More Silos. My name is Erica Santiago. Follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Cultural Christianity. Or if you have questions, comments, or future episode topic ideas, I'd love to hear them. Email me at podcast at ericasantiago.com. Thanks again for joining me, and I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day.